You know, most problems in healthcare are fixed already. Primary care is already cured on the fringes. Reversing burnout, physician shortages, bad business models, forced buyouts, factory medicine, high deductible insurance that squeezes the docs and is totally inaccessible to most of the employees. The big squeeze is always on for docs. It's the acceleration of cost and the deceleration of reimbursements. I want you to meet those on this show that are making a difference with host Ron Barshop, CEO of Beacon Clinics. That's me. One day, because daddy said so, didn't cut it for each of us. We grew up and we needed more. We're also growing up as a nation because daddy said so healthcare mentality doesn't work anymore. Daddy was wrong. The day our healthcare outcomes placed us squarely between Croatia and Cuba, we woke up. Two combined GDPs equal to? The answer is San Antonio, Texas, my hometown, and the poorest of the top 20 metros in America with 25% poverty. We spend almost double per capita of Switzerland, the second biggest spender in our peer cohort, and half as much as 7%, our peer countries and primary care. Jamie Dimon says that the outcomes to a spend ratio is embarrassing. Warren Buffett calls healthcare a tapeworm on our economy. And Jeff Bezos says this is the era of disappearing middles, and healthcare is overloaded with middles. Military leaders say the state of our healthcare is a national security threat up there with Iran, North Korea, terrorism, COVID-19, American healthcare. The day the music died is when all this came together for us. I live in a future for two years now where everybody wins. Employers, employees, doctors, population health and costs. Because I use direct primary care, which has morphed into virtual primary care as well. And that's part of the toolkit that successful companies are using today. Others are using direct contracting with surgery centers pharmacies, imaging, and hospitals themselves in their beds. And on-site clinics are becoming a very popular item in larger companies, as is reference-based price, which we'll have a whole show on very soon. If you have back pain, as most of us will at some time, today's guest is an unintentional expert with no medical degree, with a flair for deep dives as a world-class journalist, as she has a surprising remedy, primary care, treatment, and more. Catherine Jacobson-Raymond has been an investigative journalist for four decades. She's the author of Crooked, Outwitting the Back Pain Industry and Getting on the Road to Recovery. Since publication of this book in 2017, she served as consultant to multiple organizations interested in revising this hot mess approach to back pain that we have in Western medicine. It's a $100 billion industry and has more of a spend than cancer, heart, and AIDS combined. So this is a big book and an important book. She's written for the New York Times Magazine, New York Magazine, O, the Oprah Magazine, and the New Yorker. Welcome, Catherine. Thanks so much. That is quite the intro, I have to say. I loved reading this book. I can't tell you. My jaw dropped about six times, and I want to go through each of those jaw droppers. But first, I want you to talk about you opened Crooked with basically intolerable back pain and this journey that took you on this shocking series of discoveries that sort of pricked your reporter ears up and kind of woke you up that this is an industry that is crooked. Talk, can you talk a little bit about what led you to this book? 
Sure. You know, I was just like everybody else, really. Um, I was struggling with back pain. I had been struggling since I was a teenager. Uh, and sometime around the time my kids were born, it got worse. And then when my first book came out um, and I was traveling all over the country and occasionally the world for it, uh, the pain in my leg and back just was intolerable, as you say. And I loved doing speaking engagements. I loved meeting readers and talking to crowds of people, but I could see the writing on the wall. And the writing said, if you do not fix this, you will not be able to do another book. And basically this career you've built over so many years is about to be over. And I wasn't willing to go there. So just like everyone else, I started looking around and I'd done a lot of uh, exercise. I'd seen chiropractors, I'd seen physical therapists. I, I had countless massages, um, you name it, I had done it uh, and none of it had really worked for me. So I went to see my primary care doctor at the time um, very standard kind of fee-for-service deal going on there. And he said, well, we could send you to physical therapy. And I was like, check the chart, buddy. You did that three times already, and it has not helped at all. I did not mention that maybe it didn't help because I actually had not done the exercises at home because they were so stupid and boring. Um, and he sent me on to have an MRI and see the community surgeon, uh, literally, who operates on the entire community. And um, I walked into his uh, clinic and I noticed that there were people stacked up all over the place. Um, every chair was taken, people were standing, and I thought, wow, this guy's doing, you know, he must be good. He's got a lot of people in here. Uh, only later would I learn that that was not an indication of the, uh, of the talent of the search. So fortunately for me, um, that didn't work out at all, and I eventually found my way to a uh, one of these really cheap and cheesy laser spine clinic uh, situations. And I did have a laminotomy, which I considered to have been one of the biggest mistakes I have ever made. It was entirely unnecessary. Um, and the only benefit to it was really that I understood that I was going to have to rehab like a maniac uh, afterwards. Um, of course, I did not know how to rehab before, and I had to do a lot of research to figure it out afterwards. But somewhere in that process, when I saw literally dozens of people lining up to have spine surgery, it dawned on me that what was being done to people was more often harmful. There was an awful lot of carnage. People were not getting better, um, and that I really needed to be... Um, I need to put on the other hat, the hat I'd worn for so many years as an investigative reporter and really dig into what was going on here. Um, so that's exactly what I did for the next six years. You know, it, um, we love having disruptors on this show and you are a major table turner over because we're talking about a big industry here and what you've done is you've basically disrespected, you know, the status quo by showing the truth of what's going on here. What has the industry said about you and your book? Have they tried to discredit you? No, which is remarkable. Um, I had 
I knew that was a possibility. And so I took a number of important steps. First of all, I had numerous fact checkers. Um, I had different types of fact checkers for different types of material. I had, for instance, a legal fact checker for anything involving uh, anything that involved legal uh, manipulations. Um, and so by the time the book was finished, every fact had been evaluated very carefully by a person who was in a position to know. And that's something that doesn't happen very often. And the reason is it's phenomenally expensive. But I thought that my reputation was worth more than the money that I would have to expend on that. Uh, I also, the outcome of that was about 430 endnotes that are not actually in the book because no publisher would like to publish an extra, you know, 50 pages for that reason. But um, there's a, a more moderate group of endnotes in the book. But on my website at CJ Raymond, CJ R A M I N. Dot com, um, you find the entire group of endnotes. So anyone who came to, um, had, you know, had a critical opinion, which they're certainly allowed to have, would immediately be faced with the fact that I have an extremely reputable publisher and they themselves had done a legal read. I had fact-checked everything. All endnotes were present and accounted for. And I also had a whopping big insurance policy. And funny, I didn't have a single, I mean, I've had a few irritable chiropractors, I guess. And once in a while, you'll see something on Amazon that, you know, is clearly from someone who is disgruntled, but is not admitting that they're part of the industry. They're just being disgruntled on Amazon. But I have about, uh, I think, I haven't counted recently, but I think I have about 250 five-star reviews on Amazon, which is, <laughs> that's a lot for a nonfiction book. It mm -hmm. really It is. I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed your speeches, too. So if you go on that site, you're going to find her some of her talks. And uh, she's not only informative, but she's really entertaining. I talk about you like you're not here. Um, let's talk about the jaw droppers. Everybody has bulging discs. Everybody has back abnormalities. Isn't that a great big premise for people to get surgery? Oh, what a, what a premise. If everyone has them, it's a great big market is what it is. You can just do surgery on anyone because everyone has this. Well, you know, my book um, covers this waterfront very, very thoroughly. But what we know, because multiple studies have been done over many decades, is that what you see on an MRI is by no means indicative of where the pain is or what you want to do to fix it. Uh, are many, many people who have horrible MRIs and no pain. There are people who have very nice looking MRIs and a great deal of pain. Um, and so they are not, imaging is not a telling thing. And that's something that the medical community, um, and, and when I say that, let's just expand that to the entire healthcare community, has uh, put forward for us that what has happened and it's very sad and bad, but back pain has been medicalized and in general, it is not a medical condition. Can you imagine if everything that ever happened to us was considered a medical condition? 
in a lot of cases it is things that should never have been medicalized in in our in our society have indeed been medicalized the most expensive of those and the most harmful certainly is that's back pain you um, also mentioned that back pain is our signal to start strengthening and stretching more so we went from a physical labor society to sitting around all day and we sit in our car and then we come home and we sit down and we go to sleep. Um, so back pain actually is not a signal something's wrong. It's a signal you're not strong enough. Is that right? That is right. It's a signal that you are deconditioned. You may be strong as an ox. I, I, I cannot comment. You know, you could have a job where all day long you put box, pick boxes up off a conveyor belt and put them on a shelf, you know. You're going to be pretty strong, but that does not mean that your muscles uh, are and your ligaments are well conditioned for life, you know. And so we see many people, I mean, the, the companies that have the worst expenses in terms of back pain um, are are companies that have, um, like UPS, like FedEx, et cetera, where you know, people are obviously strong, they're doing this all day long, but they're not conditioned to prevent themselves from developing pain. You know you're the uh, first speaker that's ever been able to get away with the line, stand up and show me your butt and I'll tell you how back your back feels. Uh, well, you know, I sit at dinner parties or events and, um, and, you know, it's always, I don't know if you know the expression, a busman's holiday. A lot of people don't know that, but it's like if a bus driver goes on vacation on a bus, right? Yeah. So I spend time, you know, at, at events or, at, you know, social events or professional ones. And, and as soon as people find out what I do, they want to tell me about their backs. They always want to. <laughs> and I just get a little fed up with it, to be honest, after four years. And I finally say, stand up, let me see your butt. <laughs> Mm -hmm. well, they don't have any, there's no such animal there you know it's <laughs> and um and nobody has ever mentioned to them that in fact what supports your trunk and the rest of your body including your big heavy head is um are your glutes and your thighs and you need all of those to be in working order it's not just some little tiny set of muscles around your spine and certainly do not for a moment think your spine would be holding you up because if you remove the muscles you would just be in that would be a heap on the floor hmm. um this we could go on for the next 20 minutes so i'm going to ask you to kind of briefly explain this because the whole book really supports what I'm about to say, but the gold standards of care that we use in every other specialty in America are basically relics with no data su to support them in the back industry. Can you unpack that a little bit for us? Hmm. Well, yes. I mean, that's changing a lot though now, maybe partially due to my book and maybe partially due to some of uh, the consulting work that I've had the opportunity to do many a number of organizations and companies have come to me and said look we know we get it it's not what we're doing is not right it's not helping there's no evidence base for it we know what we should be doing and we want to do it better so the gold standard that's been with us really since about 1950 which is you know take do this this process of uh, physical therapy that is not effective uh, follow that up with an MRI because clearly you need one of those in order to have um, epidural steroid injections. Do three of those injections. They don't work. Um, very occasionally they do, but there is no way to predict that. 
um, and then follow that up with perhaps a spinal decompression surgery. Um, and if that doesn't work, you got to look at the spinal fusion surgery, and somewhere in there, you're going to get addicted to opioids. And that's been the gold standard, no joke. And we know now that everything I just listed there is not relevant for the gross majority of people in terms of recovery. There are exceptions to that. And, and I'm the first to say that I have met people who have had terrible nerve pain, radiculopathy, and they've had a microdiscectomy and voila, no more nerve pain. They're, they're good to go. They were athletic to begin with and they are in shape and they're continuing to be in shape. I've also met countless people who have back pain. It is not nerve pain. They may have a little pain in their thigh. That is not radiculopathy, typically, uh, who have surgery. They become, uh, they have uh, decompression surgery. They lose a chunk of disc or a chunk of bone, depending on what goes first, and they become unstable. The instability is a huge problem, and it is um, one of the factors that allows a surgeon to order a spinal fusion. So they go down that road. And, and it's just very obvious that what has been the gold standard can no longer be the gold standard. Yeah, let's start at the top of your list here. Epidural steroid, steroids, in your book, you say the benefits far are outweighed by the risks. In fact, you said that 25 to 50% of those shots are missing and going into the dura. They're piercing the dura more often than they hit the mark, which is causing all kinds of very, very serious complications. Can you talk a little bit about epidural steroids? Well, I think the bigger problem is they just miss the mark entirely. And it's, I, I hear from readers who tell me that, you know, that particularly in, in fairly remote parts of the country that, um, <laughs> They've been out price shopping for their epidural steroid injections, and they've got one doctor who's ready to do it tomorrow, and he doesn't use fluoroscopy. And he, and I'm like, uh, there are certain things you don't want to bargain on, and that would be one of them, because it's just very easy, actually, to pierce the dura. And we really don't have great, understandably, um, uh, pain management, you know, doctors are not collecting data on when they pierce the dura and publishing it. Uh, that would not be good. That would be bad for business, to put it mildly. Uh, but the fact is that these injections frequently don't work. Sometimes people get some relief because um, one of the part of you know, proper part of the property of the injection is an anesthetic, so they will get some relief. Um, it may knock back the inflammation a little. It certainly doesn't change the uh, anatomical structure, and if you are um, not in good enough shape to basically support your own weight, um, your problem will be back in, in short order. So people have a first shot that doesn't work, and then they have a second shot, and then they have a third shot, and as I note in Crooked, I heard about extraordinary numbers of shots, and we should not forget that the ingredients of these uh, injections, uh, that these are steroids, and the outcome of that meant much steroid uh, in your body. Uh, it's tough on the, bad for the brain, it's bad for the heart, it's bad for the bone. It's not too good for anything, and it's not resolving the back pain. So, you know, why do that? 
Well, that's fine, Catherine. I'm just going to take pregnizone as an oral steroid. That'll get around that problem, won't it? Uh, no, it does not work typically for unspecific back pain. And you know very well what the outcome of taking a month's of prednisone looks like. I mean, that patient will gain, you know, 15 pounds and feel like crap and be a nervous wreck. I mean, how is that desirable? They might also be like the Energizer Bunny for a while. You know, that could be good in getting them in terms of getting them moving. Now, I have talked to people, to uh, interventional pain management doctors who only give injections and are very serious about it. And they say that the way that they see this, and this could be legitimate, is that they give an injection, the person starts a rehab program. The person must commit to that program and won't be having another injection until there's evidence that there's a need for it, which there usually is not if the person truly gets back into movement and is actively rehabbing. I never had one of them uh, I had when my when I my children were born. They were both C-sections, so I had a, a, an injection, a similar type of injection. It clearly pierced the dura. I went into a type of shock, and it's not something I would ever want to repeat. And people who have had the experience of the um, the syringe hitting a nerve or piercing the dura, <laughs> they're not going back for more. Let me tell you. I'm going to skip past the bone cement procedure called vergoplasty, um, which has basically a 6x less success than it has failure. Um, and let's go to spinal fusion you talked about earlier. 60% failure rate in your book. Sig surgeries themselves would not even undergo this 99 out of 100, basically. But they are doing spinal fusions like they're giving out candy at Halloween. Yes, and they won't do it, have it. They, they won't let their own families anywhere near it, which is very... Very interesting, right? 465,000 in the USA last year. Uh, that is really just incredible. So um, it's just very well documented that it's um, infection prone, horrible success ratios, all kinds of stinging, relentless pain that never goes away. People generally find themselves in worse condition after them. And it's an $80,000 surgery when you wrote your book. I think it's closer to 108,000 today. It's, well, and, and that was just the surgery. I mean, there's so many expenses that go along with that. If you go to a website that I just recently found, which I just love, called guru, G-U-R-O-O.com, you will see the cost breakdown. And, and it's not just, oh, this is the cost of the surgery. It shows you everything else that would be involved in that and, and how those costs add up. And if it works, God bless it, but it frequently does not. And people wind up in worse shape than they started. Um, and that's just, you know, that's it's a curse. Uh, just know that you've now um, screwed around with your spinal anatomy, to put a fine point on it. And it will never, ever be the same. You cannot put it back. This is not something you can undo. And... Very often, the reason this has happened is that the person does not have good access to any type of rehabilitation before the surgery. If that was available, they perhaps would be in better shape after the surgery, or very likely they wouldn't need any 
uh, they did not need the surgical intervention. I have had a lot of people tell me they canceled their surgery after they read my book. I'm amazed I didn't have more upset surgeons. You said that the physical rehab, physical therapy is just as effective with only one to three weeks of that versus four to eight weeks for a surgery patient, and that's rarely disclosed by the surgeon. Very rarely. I'm working with a company now that's doing a, a great service to humanity, I think, which is to create, have created a back pain rehab program. Um, it is online on the computer. It costs $9.99 a month. Um, various types of uh, data is collected that allows um, the, the experts behind the program to make recommendations for modifications, et cetera. And it's, it's easy. It's there. It's in your house. You don't have to go anywhere. This program is called Back Forever, and I, I'm just terribly impressed with how well it's working. And it's great for me because I get so many requests for help. And where should I go? I live, you know, ten, I live 50 minutes outside Spokane, Washington. Ah, uh, gee, <laughs> I don't think I'm finding a Feldenkrais teacher there. This is something for everyone, anyone, almost anyone who has back pain can find a way to afford $9.99 a month. It's a way to recover without entering um, and becoming a recidivist in the medical system. And people don't like that term, you know, because we use that term with uh, people who go to prison. But the reality is that the medical system encourages recidivism. I have seen people who Whenever I meet anyone who tells me they've had multiple surgeries and then they also start telling me about their elbows and their shoulders and their knees, you know, I believe they are getting something out of that surgery that is not particularly healthy. And that can often, often be a continual stream of opioids. Yeah, I'm looking at this gentleman's website and he, there's no data to support other than t testimonials. So I think most medical doctors would poo-poo something like this. I, I look at if it works, it works. But he's not uh, he's he's not going into the peer-reviewed. You know, it's interesting in medicine we have these peer-reviewed studies, and that's the gold standard for is this going to work? That's what's happening right now with this uh, organization, and that is why I was hired by them is to create the study, and that's what I've been doing. So underway right now and you know takes these things take some time obviously <laughs> yeah but i mean in in harvard business school harvard Med versus harvard medical school case studies are perfectly fine and they're completely a way to, to train the next generation whereas medical right across the charles river two and a half miles away they would never look at a case study they're going to only look at peer-reviewed journals which frankly are mostly bought by the industry i mean you talk about that in the book also the pharmacy and the medical device industry are deeply deeply involved and incenting doctors to be thought leaders. Absolutely. They're very busy paying them to do that. And what we are reading, unfortunately, in many peer-reviewed journals, or what people think are peer-reviewed journals, is not legitimate. I mean, it's <laughs> the peer review is done by people who are in the pocket of the product. And, you know, that's just a lot of nonsense, isn't it? Uh, and peer review is, is very sketchy right now. I, you know, we even see 
studies sometimes being retracted in, in JAMA and in Cell and, you know, really, really good publications that I, as a journalist, uh, have relied on, absolutely rely on them to be right. And then I discovered that someone, something was bought and paid for in the, you know, European Spine Journal or in, um, you know, there's another spine journal that I talk about in the book where, you know, an enormous amount of fraud went on. And it's not uncommon at all. I hear about more of it every week. Um, so, Catherine, you solved your, your back pain problem or not? Are you still in pain? No, I am not in pain. I, I have resolved my problem, I'd say, probably four years ago or so. And it was a slow process involving a lot of, um, a lot of working out and a lot of rehab work. Um, and I have to work out several days a week minimum um, and, you know, and deal with my body. Um, I have, I, I know that if I don't, I will be back in some kind of pain, uh, but I also know that I know how to get out of it. I know how, what I need to do uh, to stay strong, um, and I don't think you could possibly call me careful, because for instance, I was skiing two days this past week, and I haven't skied in five years. Uh, that went just fine, by the way. And yeah, I I said it's I'm 63. It's kind of now or never, right? We're not going to pick up again at 70. Um, but a lot of what I have done is be consistent with exercise, uh, pay attention to signals from my body that say, you know, you really better get on the floor and right now and start moving. I think it's important to talk about. Um, what, what physicians frequently aren't really thinking about, which is that the pain that people are talking about, you know, when they grab their butts or their low backs or whatever, and this pain has been with them for years or many months, and the assumption is, well, it's, it's um, peripheral. It's, it's in that location. There's actually something happening in that location that's a problem. And very frequently, that is not the case. The brain is sending these messages. Um, there's something that I write about in the book called central sensitization. I think it would be very interesting for your uh, listeners uh, to become more familiar with that. Uh, and that is basically when the brain is getting the message that there's a big problem and there is not a big problem. Uh, and the really the only way to get through that, around that, um, is to inform the brain otherwise. And we do that by doing graded, non-pain contingent exercises. Mm -hmm. And you can get that on the site that you referred to. Now, if people want to find you, you've already listed it once, but I want to repeat that. Catherine with a C, Jacob with a K, Catherine JacobsonRaymond.com is where you're going to find not only resources to the book to get her to come speak. She's an excellent speaker, but you can also get a lot of back pain relief tips in some of these exercises, but maybe more importantly, some of the really more curated chiropractors and physical therapists and others that are doing some interesting things around the world, not just in America, um, to eliminate back pain. So what a great resource that website well, is. Well, you may want to mention that you can find the website at cjramin.com because very few people can spell my name. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that, there you go. 
She's already got her own Wikipedia site, of course, so you can find the resource through that as well. Um, Catherine, what if we were flying a banner over America and have one message for Americans to read, what would it say? Don't panic. <laughs> You're talking about COVID-19 now, huh? Yeah, I'd say don't panic. I'd say don't panic. It will not help. Okay, so don't don't start <laughs> oh. stocking up on bullets and uh, bread is what you're saying, right? The fact of the matter is, yeah, we're in for some rough times. There's no question. But let's talk about building strong immune systems. And let's talk about getting up off our asses and getting some exercise outdoors. Preferably, you are not going to go to your uh, you know, your low cost gym where they clean the machines every two weeks and put your body all over those. Uh, but let's talk about, let's talk about how to positively maintain ourselves so that we do not get sick rather than assuming that we're all in for it here. Hey, Catherine, what is your next book going to be about? I love watching what you're going to be writing about because there's such when I read each chapter, I felt like I was doing a deep dive New Yorker read on a whole different subject each time. You really uh, did a nice job separating the book out. What what is what's coming next for you? Well, I am currently writing a novel. Wow! It does involve a scientist. <laughs> so uh, yes, I am right in the middle. That's of that. deeply disturbing. I would, I'm so excited about you as a nonfiction writer. We have. Well, don't worry. I'm sure I'll be back. Uh, as writing more nonfiction, but the fact is that it was a, it was an, an idea that I came upon a couple of decades ago and stayed with me uh, very much, and it was time to proceed. So I'm enjoying this. It's very interesting as an investigative reporter. I find myself still doing deep dives rather five times a day to make sure that uh, what I'm conveying is right. And it's remarkable how little I know about, you know, the specifics of how an academic uh, university research facility works. So there's always a lot to learn. I enjoy that part of my job and my life and I don't really separate the two. Um, so there will be, there will be another topic. I'm not, at all sure it would be healthcare because I mean, my first book was about um, memory and attention and what happens to that in midlife and onward. Uh, that's called Carved in Sand. That's still available. Uh, very similar, not, not the same kind of debunking. It didn't need that. Um, but also a book that might be in of interest to readers um, and, and your listeners. Uh, same writer, same style, and it's also available, both of them, um, on, as audiobooks, um, which you can get on Amazon. So then you're stuck with me for 13 hours. It's really awful. <laughs> Catherine, thank you for this time. We really enjoyed it. it. Took us a long time to get you, and you were worth every minute of waiting. Very nice of you, and I've enjoyed talking with you as well. And uh, people want to reach me, they can do so at uh, Crooked the Back Book at gmail.com that's also on my website you can email me straight from my website great thanks again Catherine. we'll have you again soon all right dear thank you okay bye-bye thank you for listening you want to shake things up there's two things you can do for us one go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests and number two help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. 
It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.